Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 92. Uh, we are at the end of October. We are at the end of... Josh Long, what are we at the end of? We're, we're really coming to a close of Halloween times. And Absolutely. It's, it's disappointing for everyone. And I've mostly for me, because I've had to listen to you say that for a whole month. To say what? Oh, you mean you, Halloween times. That's the okay. one. Uh, and uh, there's no better way than that to transition into... Okay, so you know all those shirts that I designed that you guys don't buy because they're ridiculous? There's one more. Uh, and it is, uh, it is a, a Halloween times shirt. It says, I survived Halloween times 2013. And then on the back, it has a list of the various episodes mm. that, uh, that, were, that played a role in this year's Halloween times. So you could buy it, but you might not want to yet, because technically you haven't survived it. You haven't survived it yet? Yeah. yeah. Just wait. Just wait until, because uh, this will be going up on the 29th, so give it a few days, it. Yeah, and then get a shirt. Yeah, let it sink in. <laughs> let it sink in, because you know, we, we are a kind of a slow-acting poison. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, um, But yeah, it's, uh, it's a ridiculous shirt that I designed kind of as a challenge to myself as i almost almost every shirt that i design for either of my websites is just me being like can i do this i'll give this a try and uh and so you can purchase that at more than one lesson.com uh and actually i think uh speaking of halloween times and that is now what it is officially dubbed which i'm kind of excited about um and apparently, some of you are as well. You seem to have sensed my. Uh, you seem to sense my. My uh, anger doesn't seem right. Fury, rage, maybe? rage. That's a good one. Somehow, just I don't know. Some of the they just don't seem like enough. Uh, mm-hmm. But my fr- let's just say frustration and also disappointment okay. at the at the turn at the term uh, Halloween times. And you have uh, tweeted and emailed me and Facebook me with using that term and i don't like that one bit but but i do so keep them coming yeah since it has caught on (laughs) then uh not only the term but also i think the thing itself uh i really enjoyed doing that this year um you know we've done halloween and horror related things the last few years but this year we devoted the whole month to it and i've it has been remarkably rewarding for me uh josh what do you think um yeah no i think so as well i'm i'm not like we said before i'm not as big of a horror movie person so it isn't uh they're not always movies that i'm as familiar with but i do like i do like having kind of a general theme that's always kind of fun so and also really we to this episode is going to be the only one in which we actually talk about a horror movie you know the thing about halloween times instead of horror times (laughs) is that uh it, it gives us some freedom. And so like we were able to talk True. about warm bodies and paranormal and, and I already have some ideas for next year and I'm, I'm very excited about them. So, uh, and thanks for all the feedback, uh, regarding the last few episodes. It's been a lot of fun. 
A um, couple of uh, announcements. First off, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll transition into this. Uh, speaking of horror and that sort of thing, over at my other website, Battleship Pretension, um, the, uh, the writers, including me and including Josh, uh, we've been putting together uh, the list of the top 50 horror movies of all time. That was listener voted, but then the writers uh, have uh, written little blurbs about the top 25, and so you can go over to BattleshipPretension.com and you can click and uh, see what the list of the top 50 horror movies are with little blurbs written by Josh, by myself, and a number of other people. So uh, you can do that, and then... I will. It's pretty early, but I'll go ahead and remind everybody. Christmas is coming. Oh. And so uh, we do have uh, a store, uh, an Amazon store at morethanonelesson.com. And so you can buy. Uh, I try to limit the stuff in the store to only movies that we have talked about on here and that we recommend. Uh, and so you can, uh, if you are interested, you can. You can purchase any number of the movies that we've discussed on the podcast at the uh, at the uh, Amazon, more than one lesson Amazon store, uh, and then also we there are, n- are a number of uh, movies that are available uh, on at uh, Amazon like Watch Instant. So mm-hmm. if you listen to our P- Paranorman episode but you uh, had not watched the movie and you wanted to, you can go there and just uh, w- and rent it. Uh, immediately for so. like a dollar or two dollars or something uh, I think it ranges up to five but it is often as low as two yes there you go who doesn't have two dollars who doesn't have two dollars do you I don't know I mean not I, I think I think yeah. I literally have two dollars in my wallet right now does Amazon take cash I hope so okay I've been putting I, it in there yeah I keep I keep pushing it into the 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 CD slot right in my uh, computer I mean it goes in it yeah, must go somewhere it doesn't spit it back out no so by the way, I have to get a new computer like every three weeks. Is that weird? <laughs> oh, really? Because I rent a lot of movies. Huh. But the rental never goes through. Um, <laughs> That's strange. But you know what? I, I keep doing it because I, I, it's going to happen. It's going to work gonna one happen. day. I mean, it's technology. Exactly. It has to work eventually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if if there's one thing I've learned from science fiction movies is that technology will never fail. It, it wins And nobody's out worried about it. <laughs> um so, okay, uh, speaking of technology, uh, I will take this opportunity to say that, uh, yes, all right, fifth year in a row, we have been nominated for a podcast award in the religion. Con- congratulations, Tyler. Congratulations, Josh. Well, thank you. Very exciting. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Just say what we said last year, which was, uh, yeah, all right, you know, it's fine. Uh, so, voting will commence on November 1st. This is the year we win. All right. See, all those other years, everyone's been like, Tyler doesn't think we're going to win, so might as, well, might as well not waste those votes. Hey, no, this year's different. Tyler's convinced we're going to win this year, and I want all of you to prove him right. So, Now, this is not an improv thing. I don't have to yes and. I can just say, no, no we're not going to win. Well, don't say that. Then okay. they're not going to vote. All right, everybody, we can win this thing. Here's why. There are not as many atheist podcasts nominated this year. In uh, fact, there's a lot of Christian podcasts, which I'm excited about. So, um, but yeah, uh, November 1st, you can go in and vote. You can vote every day. Every single day. And uh, I would, you know, please do so. Um, I don't, I don't think we have much chance of winning, but it would be kind of neat if we did. So, um, so, and, and thank you to everybody that, uh, that submitted us uh, to be nominated. Um, while I, while I do make fun of the uh, podcast awards, um, it is uh, the nominating process is actually kind of an honor because they do actually have people who listen to the show and decide if it belongs on the list. So, uh, very exciting. 
moving on because now we got to now we got to get into you know the 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 episode proper uh we have a we have a guest josh i don't know if you look to your left there (laughs) you know what i was wondering he's right over there yeah (laughs) and you've met him before um are you are you sure i think you know, I don't know. In fact, I'm kind of iffy on it myself now. Who are you? And get out of my house. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's very. If you are Facebook friends with him, then you are very familiar with him and all his little uh, comic things that uh, about him like stalking his wife and that sort of thing. So, uh, but it's uh, and I'll exp- I'll let him explain that in a moment. Yeah, I think I think an explanation uh, would be. But yeah, lovely. Uh, so uh, it is one of our writers, one of our beloved writers, I like to think. Uh, it's Reed Lackey. Reed, how you doing? I'm doing all right. It's good to be beloved. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> By somebody. Because, see, I stalk my wife and she still doesn't beloved me. You know what I'm talking about, though, right? Like, I think I do. I think is this the... I have no idea what either of you are talking this about. The, uh, I've, I've written a number of posts about my wife recently, most of them in good fun. Well, it's also like there's these like avatars that you can create like these little like one oh, like these yes. one frame uh comic strip things where you can have representations of you and your friends and then they just have you guys doing different things yeah this is uh this is this is something called bit strips that's that, the one yeah that uh, you create these absurd little comics and i created one that it was a replica of the movie poster jaws in which yeah. i played bruce and my wife played the damsel about to be in distress it was it was yeah. a lot of fun yeah it was, it, it, it was great yeah and uh, i enjoyed it so much that i was like hey, i'm gonna do this but apparently everybody had the same thought because it is uh, overloaded and it has been for the last two days yeah oh, it wow. is, it's 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 massive we caught it just like on the cusp we're not quite trendsetters because we didn't get it in early enough okay. but uh, but we did catch it in time to to actually get on the server so yeah <laughs> It's, it's crazy. Yeah, and so and that's the thing. Josh is not on Facebook, so he doesn't see this. No thing. idea what you're talking um, about. And they are kind of they are kind of adorable. <laughs> They're pretty uh, fun. So, um, but okay, Reed, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm genuinely honored. <laughs> All right, listener, let me explain. So, Reed is from North Carolina, right? South North Carolina. Carolina. Good. Most people guess South. First Everyone time. I know is from North Carolina. Stupid Josh is from there. Former friend of the show. Uh, I, he's still a friend of the show, but he's not. Former. <laughs> no, not you. I mean, uh, I was going to say no, Sean no. Richardson. I think in terms of former, because he doesn't live here anymore, and so he's probably not going to be on again. But uh, but yeah, he, he was from North Carolina. Like a lot he of was people from Virginia, actually. He went to college in North Carolina. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. Sooner or later, everybody winds up in North Carolina. It's, where I, went, through. it's where I went on my honeymoon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a great state. And uh, so, you know, people that are from there often tell me and... Then they'll bash other states that think they're as good. So, but you know what? We'll move on. You know, now's not the time for my bitterness at my friends that I don't really, that I barely tolerate anymore. Yeah. Okay. So, you know. When is the time for that? As soon as we leave? Kind of, yeah. Pretty much every moment I'm alone and thinking. Got it. uh, That's usually when. It's mostly about how bitter you are at North Carolina. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'd like to get really specific with my with my bitter thoughts. It's a good thing you don't follow sports, or you wouldn't you wouldn't have any time to do anything. Oh man, absolutely. Of, uh, are there any movies that take place in North Carolina? I bet there are. Bull Durham. Bull Durham. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Um, every Nicholas Sparks. Movie. I was just about to say. I think okay. every Nicholas Sparks movie. Not only in North Carolina, but it's all like filmed in and set in Southport. Um, and that, 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 like all of them, everybody you know retreats to the beach to have a budding new romance in which one of them will eventually die. Hmm. That's always how it goes. That's really depressing. What oh, it's horrible. I feel uh, like Nicholas yeah. Sparks is very cynical, just being like, "Yes, love is great, but eventually 
Yeah. Watch out. If he's not cynical, he's sure morbid. <laughs> yeah. If if he's is in reality cynical, he's probably cynical in the sort of way that I can just write these things and people give me money. Well, the, yeah, let's not he's he's cynical on a number of levels. Content yeah. and uh well, everything about it. I'm trying to think of other North Carolina movies now. Cold Mountain is supposed to take place in part of the mountains of North it does. Carolina, is it not? It does. And really? I know I know more that were filmed in North Carolina. Yeah, than I know a lot of those there. ones. Like The Fugitive was. Kiss um, the Girls, I think, was. Kiss the Girls. And then Last of the Mohicans oh, yeah, was yeah. filmed there. At least portions of these movies. I right. don't know if the entire movie was filmed there. but I didn't right. know The Fugitive was uh, shot there. Wow, I didn't know yeah. that North Carolina could make for such a good Chicago replacement there's in fact i'm not sure if the cityscapes were i know that the the famous train sequence was filmed there i know that the entire escape his escape from the hospital that was all filmed there Hmm. and maybe a number of other scenes too but i'm I'm not sure if the entirety of the movie was filmed. uh, very much not yeah it would Um, it wouldn't have been possible (laughs) but yeah but um okay so moving on from i'm not even totally sure what this was aside from my bashing of a place that i actually like quite a bit um, <laughs> that i used to call home so thank exactly. you. exactly yeah both of you yeah 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 maybe that's what it is i just feel the need to just you see deri- other people's uh happiness and you just got to destroy it there is kind of that <laughs> yes i do you know what it is uh, this is a, it's a, it's an episode i've been meaning to do for a while the grinch um <laughs> uh, a mini soda I've been meaning to do for a while, and you and I have talked about this: is the the nature of of home, and you know when you mm. move around a lot, as I have, you tend not to feel like any one place is home. And so when I, you know, when I have friends who are going to go home for the holidays or whatever, uh, I just look at that and I I feel a pang of of envy to a certain extent because I do you know Chicago, Denver, Missouri, like none of those really feel like home to me. Uh, at this point, where I live now is what feels like home, and I feel like maybe that's what it should be. But I do, I do, I do feel a certain degree of like, oh, going back to where you, where you know you can relax, and everybody knows your name, and everybody knows your name. <laughs> sometimes you, sometimes you want to go there. Sometimes, you know. So, <laughs> look, you take the good, you take the bad. I'm start. I've started to quote other. Uh, it's true, and if you take them both, there you have. Something, but I'm not quite sure. Yeah, why. yeah. Three's Company, I think. That's the yes. one. That's what you have. Yeah, yeah. Here on Gilligan's Island. <laughs> so, okay, I apologize. Can we everybody. do a whole episode on Gilligan's Island for me? Yeah, absolutely. You, <laughs> you right. can do your own mini-sode about Gilligan's Island. Oh, that's I, the nut- will, I will set the mics. Okay. I will leave the room. <laughs> that's fine. I can promise you there's, there's going to be nothing mini about that soda. <laughs> oh, I know. It's, uh, you know, I've... We, you know what? Here's the thing. You've got a deal. Let's see. I will absolutely. We will absolutely do this. I'll recount as many episodes as I can remember. Some of my favorite moments. I'll uh, I'll sing if I can think of all the, remember all the words. Many of the songs from the uh, the version the musical version of Hamlet that they oh, uh, create that. in uh, the episode with Phil Silvers as Harold Hecuba, star Broadway producer. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. You know what? I'm I'm out. Okay, you you just ruined it for me. All right. I w- I really wanted an in-depth analysis from a Christian perspective about Gilligan. Well, that'll get in there. Okay, good. All yeah. right. All right. We're back. We're back in. So okay, but enough of that. It's Halloween times, Josh. Come on. It sure is. Um. So this episode, as I, as I mentioned, this episode we're going to be talking about uh, William Friedkin's The Exorcist, and. We'll talk about that in a moment, uh, but I will say uh, that 
the reason we chose the reason we chose it was because our writer, our beloved writer, Reed Lackey, it is Feels his, so good. <laughs> it is his favorite film of all time, as he mentioned. I think last year, and then uh, has reiterated when I asked him to do his top ten, uh, and then uh, he also wrote a recent uh, article. He wrote it several months ago, but I decided to uh, put it in in October, uh, and so I thought, well, it's The Exorcist. It's a film that most Christians I know shy away from, and it is, in fact, your favorite movie. So it probably would be a a neat idea to talk about it. So that's why we decided it. But I will say that, uh, and and it's going to be very, it will be very easy for me to adopt a mocking tone right now. Uh, Josh was reluctant to watch it because, as I think we talked about maybe the very first episode in which we discussed, like, horror movies in general, not not about anything specific, um, you know, Josh mentioned that there are the things that get him, the things that, that frighten him in movies tend to be of a spiritual, uh, like, supernatural nature. Mm. And um, so I thought... Uh, and that's the thing; those don't get me at all. But that's not to say other things in movies don't get me. They do, um, and so I, I almost feel like fear. It's kind of like musical taste. I can make fun of somebody's musical taste, but in the end, I have no idea why I like the things I like, and so and I don't know why spiders scare me to death, but snakes don't. I mean, obviously, it was, if there was a if there was a boa constrictor uh, that was constricting around me and my, I was about to die, you know what? I'd be a little afraid. If you were like, if you like, opened up your your oven and there were like five snakes in there, that might scare you, right? If you and were I, putting on a belt and suddenly realized it was a snake, yeah, that yeah. might scare you. That might be Absolutely. a little alarming. Yeah. If I'm trying to plug in my computer, I'm like, why won't this plug in? <laughs> it oh, just won't go. Oh, and then oh, you realize that, and then the rattle yeah, goes. It's a snake. But uh, in, admittedly, in those instances, it might just be—I I might just be more startled. And that oven thing would be awesome because then you can basically just shut the door again and <laughs> just, just turn, turn it on. on Five hundred fifty degrees preheat. It's it's great. <laughs> <laughs> if you go four hundred though, they can live in that. They, I mean, oh, they, oh, they love. They it. are cold blooded. Yeah, so. it gives them strength. Yeah, it's true. actually, they, they get grow. bigger. <laughs> <laughs> we all saw tremors. Um, although you didn't see tremors, right? Now I still haven't oh, seen it. Oh, we've got to see it, man. You have to fun. see tremors. I want to see it. Um, Maybe I'll watch it tonight by myself. <laughs> it's great. It I'm just so going to go home and fire up the TV and watch Tremors. I will lend it to you on, on DVD. Although my DVD copy is not very good. Yeah, don't give me that. But that's neither here nor there. Um, so anyway, so I thought it might, uh, you know, I, I wanted to throw out that uh, Josh is uh, bothered by this, but that he, you know, he muscled through watching The Exorcist. I gave him the option of sitting this episode out, but he said, no, I'm going to face my fear. I'm going to do... He didn't say that. I but didn't say that. but uh, clearly that was the subtext, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, he's like, once I do this, I will have achieved perfection. Mm-hmm. Right? That You did say that. Yeah. Well, I was talking... I was thinking about the game. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> what a stressful, stressful game that was. <laughs> didn't you hear that... <laughs> horrible timer going throughout the entire movie i just thought it was part of it, the, it won be, the oscar for best sound i just thought that's what i thought they wanted to unsettle me but um anyway so i thought maybe uh we could go around and, and uh go around the horn as uh jimmy pardo would say and talk about oh. the various things in movies that uh that kind of get to us we will start we'll start with me then we'll go with reed then we'll end with josh and then we will transition from there into the exorcist uh so with me as i've said before and this is actually a t-shirt that should sell better than it does which is to say at all um 
spiders uh, in life frighten me. Uh, and if you are not scared of spiders, you're not paying attention uh, because they are the worst thing on earth. But there are not a lot of movies about spiders, so I don't want to talk about real-life fear. That's a different thing. In movies, uh, I do tend to be frightened by physical things. Ghosts don't get me. Certainly, I'll be startled, you know, when a ghost, like, shows up and makes a loud noise. But, like, as far as the fear that I take home with me, uh, it's physical things. It's, you know, usually people, but not rational people. Not people that you can talk to, but characters like Leatherface. Uh, Michael Myers, uh, zombies in general. Not that, and that's the thing is, I know that zombies uh, don't exist, but there's just something about uh, about, for example, like the brazenness of Michael Myers that he is often just standing out in broad daylight, just staring at you, because he has literally no fear and will just keep coming at you, and there's nothing you can do, um, and that always gets to me. And and the first. I believe it's the first kill of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Oof. where that guy walks down that hallway towards a door that like immediately like, what is that door? Like with all the little like squirrel skulls and stuff like that's very strange. And he just walks very slowly towards it. And then Leatherface just shows up, smacks the guy with the hammer, drags him in. And then oddly enough, after after killing a man with a hammer, the most violent action of that moment is him slamming that door and shut. That's what makes it terrifying. It's what makes it terrifying. The door, yeah. Oh, and it's and it's not like a, a regular door. It's like a sliding metal door, and he just it, it's such a violent action, and it's all just so depraved and indifferent. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he, and so that is what gets me more than anything in movies. Uh, that's the kind of fear that that gets me paranoid when I'm walking around late at night, like in a in a pretty empty parking lot. So, uh, Reed, what do you got? Well, uh, again, keeping away from sort of real life fears, of which I will echo your spiders. I don't think spiders would be scary if they didn't walk like they were possessed by the devil. I mean, they. That just watch them walk, and you tell me yeah. that there's not some malice in just that walk. They're like, just yeah. wrong. It's it's, it's awful. Um, but they, they they kind of seem to be saying like, I got all the time in the world. Exactly. Yeah. I can, you know, I'm not in any hurry to dis- to kill you. No, but I will. Exactly. If you, if you and I cross paths, you're, you're going down. Yeah. Period. That's why I always say when I kill a spider, it's time to end his career. Um, but uh, <laughs> the in, in films, honestly, I'm not I'm not trying to be uh, like arrogant here, but in films, not not a great deal genuinely frightens me. I'm easy to spook if I'm watching a scary movie. It's easy to sort of give me the creeps and you know like especially if i'm watching it alone or in the dark or anything like that it's easy for me to just get a general sense of unease Mm -hmm. but there's very little that will instill uh any sort of like actual genuine terror what has come the closest have been uh i'll I'll reference it's things like what happens in the movie seven where um there is such a uh intention behind the evil that's taking place but it's um it's played out in a way that's kind of posed as righteousness. That, mm-hmm. for some reason, has a real sort of uh, unnerving factor to it to me. That's like when when a when the villain of the piece uh, professes for some reason that they're doing something healthy or good. That does, tends to get me. Does Night of the Hunter get you? Night of the Hunter is one of my favorite movies, and it, and that's part of why is because of his. I love uh, the. 
uh, kind of the perspective of Powell. Not that I agree with it, but but I love the way he portrays that this sort of um, incredible violence um, presented as holiness. Mm-hmm. That is a, a terrifying thought to me, probably because I think it's quite plausible. Um, I think there's probably you know a great deal of people who who are sort of this like um, you know wolves and sheep clothing kind of imagery. Um, so that has a much uh, greater percentage of, of actually unnerving me after I've seen the film rather than, you know, supernatural stuff doesn't tend to bother me terribly much. The the slashers don't tend to bother me very much. Like I said, it's easy for me to get spooked or jump or be like, okay, I'm going to click the lights on because that, that got to me. But, um, but that's the stuff that really gets me is stuff like in Seven, like in Night of the Hunter where uh, some sort of uh, very vicious, violent or uh, evil act is presented with a guise of righteousness almost if there's a philosophy behind the evil like uh but not like i'm going to do evil but more what i'm doing is the best because not unlike you know leatherface or michael myers you can't argue against that right um like if if as opposed to something like funny games where characters are they know they're doing bad things and they just say why wouldn't i you Mm -hmm. know or like the joker in the dark knight People who are doing terrible things, but they think it's the best possible thing they could do. Right. That, that is, it's like, clearly there's no arguing with them. Yeah. Um, okay. Which is, uh, I recently, for the first time, saw The Wicker Man, 1973 oh, that is film. A, I, was, I was going to suggest a conversation about The Wicker Man, because that's a fascinating movie. That's it a is. a that, really interesting movie. That might, be, uh, that might be a next year Halloween Times discussion, because boy, oh boy, there's a, there's a lot to that movie from so much going on from any kind of a spiritual or or, uh, religious standpoint but uh, okay so now uh, i already let the cat kind of out of the bag with you uh josh the stuff that gets you tends to be more supernatural Mm -hmm. um do you know do you have an idea of why that is or is it just kind of general um i feel like in general the stuff that that upsets me more in movies is is uh hmm I feel like there there are things that you can't do anything about. Like when I think of myself being in a in like in a slasher movie situation, I imagine myself whether or not this would be true, but I imagine myself being able to like run away or fight or something like that. So like I have that idea behind it so that those don't frighten me as much because I think of that in a real world situation like okay, how would I react in a real world world situation? I could try to do something. Um but with like ghosts and demon type things like that, it's it's you you can't do anything, you know. And that's the way most of these are presented in the movies. Is it's something horrible and terrifying, and you can't like it's a supernatural thing. It's not like you can punch it in the face or whatever, you know. Um, so those are those tend to be the sort of things that that frighten me a little bit more. Um, some particular ones that again, it's been a while since I. Well, the first time I saw The Sixth Sense, which I was, I don't know, 16? What was that, 1999? I think I saw it the next year, so it would have been 17. Um, but that really scared me. And uh, the first time I saw The Shining, that really scared me. And I have seen The Shining some since then, but I still like had that impulse to like look away from the screen a little bit mm-hmm. when the little girls pop up or when he reaches for the doorknob in that one part scary see and it's and it's fascinating because the shining i've i mean i first saw it fairly young mm. yeah me too. i first saw it like i think 16 i think my brother had rented it or something like that and then it was the very first dvd i owned because my brother had purchased it for me yeah really um and uh 
And that movie is masterful in its making. It is suspenseful. I have never found it the least bit scary. And mm-hmm. it, it just and it fascinates me. Let me ask you this. Have you ever seen Stir of Echoes? No. Oh, that's a great movie. That's a great movie just in general. Yeah. Um, it winds up being kind of a like a supernatural thriller more than, than a horror. But mm-hmm. it came out the same year as Sixth Sense, and they kind of have a lot of the same themes. Mm-hmm. Um and and the stories themselves are similar in some ways, and uh, six cents because you know it had the kid and all that, mm-hmm. and it had the twist. Um, the uh, Stir of Echoes got overshadowed, but that is a wonderful movie. Yeah. But I feel like that one would, would get to you. It might, it might, and there's there's other things we've talked about that I'm that I'm not going to see. Yeah. Like you mentioned, The Ring. I'm I'm not going to see The Ring. I'm fine with that. Um, Someone recommended The Conjuring to us, I guess, and from what I that heard, that is a I'm, possibility I'm, for next year's Halloween times. That's that's going to be a, a Josh free episode. Okay, <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, and just having you know, just the way people described it, it's like, man, that one will even that one will even get me. It'll get me while we're watching it, mm-hmm. um, because just the way it sounds, it's just there's a lot of jump scares and and that kind of thing. Yeah. But, uh, I saw a trailer for some kind of supernatural horror movie that I don't even remember what it was. I don't think it did very well. But I saw the trailer on my computer like before I was watching a YouTube video or something like that. And that trailer kept me awake at night that night. Wow. This was wow. this year. <laughs> so, oh, man. Yeah, and that's... Yeah, certainly I don't think I've, I've experienced that, you know, from a trailer. But there have been... You know, the idea of being kept awake... Uh, as as uh, you know from my uh, having been in my old apartment, it was right on. You know, it was on the street. Like if I were to jump out my bedroom window, I would be on Whitsett Avenue in North Hollywood. And so basically, anybody could just walk right up and stand outside my window. Now there were bars o- on my window, so they couldn't necessarily get in. But often I would like roll over and look out the window because the window would be open. And the curtain would be open so that we could let in some air. And I often thought, like, like roll over and be like, this would be, like, in a horror movie, this would be exactly the thing where I roll over and Michael Myers is just staring in the window. I'm like, I recognize there's a number of reasons why that won't happen. But, man, oh, man, what if it did? And so there there would be times I'm like, yeah, but that's not going to happen if I just stay with my back to the window. So I'm not going to roll over just in case. And it's like, yeah, but you're getting uncomfortable on this side. And it's like, yeah, but I'll be more uncomfortable if I see a face staring at me in the window. So like, it's, you know, so I, I can relate, but in uh, about a completely different thing, you know? Mm. So that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's the idea of, of not being able to do anything uh, mm. when dealing with, you know, uh, demons or ghosts or, or whatever, I feel like that is a good transition into today's movie, which is The Exorcist, in which a uh, young girl is possessed by a demon, and uh, her mother and various you know priests and doctors are trying to figure out what to do about it. So, yeah. all right. Half hour in. Let's get this going. Ta-da. So, Reed. Yes, sir. It is your favorite film... Of all time. Yes. You like it more than A History of Violence. <laughs> I do like it more than A History of Violence. You like it more than Almost Famous. I do like it more than Almost Famous. You like famous. it more than The Little Mermaid. I or... do like it more than The Little Mermaid. <laughs> what? About, hang on. How about this? Do you like it more than What's Eating Gilbert Grape? 
barely. I do like it more. Kill the Crick. Be like, I, I like. Okay, so what's happening is I'm basically just looking at the movies on my shelf and just throwing out <laughs> just titles directly I, behind Reed. I like the idea that if I were to, that I throw one out and you're like, you know what? I forgot about oh, that yeah. one. You know what? That's Actually, my favorite movie. I need to rethink this entire list that I made. I forgot about Frost Nixon. <laughs> wow, that's a great movie. <laughs> right over there i know i forgot about dumbo <laughs> that's a good movie that is sad. a good movie that's a sad movie it is um but moving on we're not we're not here to talk about dumbo reed not all right today. all right my, don't get off don't get us apologies. off topic so this is your favorite movie of all time let's let's get some of the history when did you first see it okay i, I first watched the movie uh when i would have been i can't entirely remember i would have been about 15 or 16 um, and I did, in fairness, I did the first encounter with it was a an edited for TV version of it. Um, so the first time that I really legitimately saw the movie would have been a few years later, um, 18 or 19, um, in college. Uh, that was the first time that I saw the uh, you know original theatrical cut. Um, and uh, then, you know, I, I, I think I had mentioned this before, but... Um, that was the first movie that I can remember thinking about the movie beyond the context of just entertainment, like recognizing like, wow, there's a lot going on in this movie. Um, this is not just to scare me. This is not just to, uh, to entertain me. Uh, there's, there's some themes that are being played with here that I think are very interesting. And that was the first movie that I remember kind of uh, really having that sort of response to, um, which is another reason why I'm affectionate towards it. But the, the, it wasn't until I saw the re-release, the extended director's cut, um, that I think it really escalated to one of my favorite movies and very quickly became what I would consider to be my favorite movie. Um, because so many of the themes that I was kind of uh, sensing and sort of scratching at the surface with from the theatrical cut, I felt like were even further solidified when I watched the director's cut. They had uh, a full, I think, 13 minutes of additional footage in the director's cut. So it wasn't just, oh, we've added one or two little scares or 35 seconds of, of raw footage um, to get the unrated whatever. Uh, this was uh, like a full, complete revisioning of what they were trying to do with this movie, uh, most specifically with the end of the movie. And when I saw that, um, I responded very, very highly to it. But the interesting thing about um, the movie is, and I don't know if I would say this about any other film, The Exorcist is... is uh, one of the very few movies, if not the only movie, where my affection and admiration from it don't actually come from watching it, but from processing after the fact what I've seen. Um, I see a great many movies that are just entertaining, that make me laugh, or that make me jump if I like scary movies, or you know, move me emotionally. Um, and then I'll think about them afterwards and reflect on what was good about them or, or what I admired about them. But um, with The Exorcist, it's kind of odd because watching it is almost like pregame to actually like once I've finished watching it, then I start reflecting on moments and lines and, and uh, the symbolism and the metaphors that I, you know, picked up on it. And that's what causes so much of my admiration and affection for it is in actually thinking about it after the fact. Um, but yeah, I would, uh, and, and I've gotten so many eye rolls and raised eyebrows and, uh, a couple of, uh, of, of second and third glances at, uh, at, at the, um, truthfulness of my Christianity when I say that, <laughs> that it's my favorite movie of all time. Um, and I feel like I've, I've probably got a good deal of practice at, at explaining to people why, 
I have such affection for it that I'm not a demented, raving lunatic. Although that might be true. It's not because I love this movie. Okay. Um, yes. Okay. Yes. So. It's a totally a separate issue. Completely separate. It's because Dad didn't take me to the circus. That's the only reason <laughs> um, for it. It has nothing to do with The Exorcist. I've never been to the circus. It's all right. I feel yeah. like I don't really want to. It seems like it'd be a sad experience. If there are clowns, yes. Oh, absolutely. It well, depend- terrifying. Probably depends on the circus. Some of them are like, oh, we're having a fun time. Some of them are like animals in cages that are way too small that don't want to be there. That's what and I crying. think of. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's, at the moment, there's a thing right by my house uh, over on Roscoe, um, and they, they, they come in and just set up in basically like this parking lot of an abandoned Montgomery Ward, and... Uh, and I and I haven't gone in, but part of me is like, well, I've never experienced this. I feel like I should, but then you're just like, ah, there's. They really emphasize like horses and stuff. It's like, ah, there's going to be a lot of animals in this, and I feel like it's just going to make me sad. Um, that's neither here nor there. Um, so yeah, now you now you mention uh, that people. Uh, you said it kind of as a joke, but I want to ask like, have you actually gotten people who they don't say like, are you uh, seriously? That's your favorite movie. Are you actually a Christian? They wouldn't say that, but like, do they? Do they attach a spiritual significance to liking or not liking that movie? Like, have you actually experienced that? Like, where I did have I did have one person honestly tell me, and I think, in fairness to them, if they hear this and remember this conversation, um, I did have one person tell me that they would severely question why I would because I used to be a a, a young adult pastor for people um, ages like. 20 to, to lower 30s and I had somebody uh, actually confront me about I don't think that you should be in the position you're in and, and own a movie like that um, or you know say that you liked a movie like that I actually had that conversation again in fairness to them I, I think they would further reflect on it and probably scale back a bit from that perspective but um, that's some of the kinds of things usually when, uh, when people hear it's my favorite movie of all time um, especially recently it's met with more intrigue than it is outright attack. Mm-hmm. Um, although if somebody has seen it recently and has very strong opinions about it, they will sometimes express a certain degree of disappointment. Like, really? That's your favorite movie? Like, why? You know, and so that, but not so much the intrigue of, oh, that's interesting. Tell me why it's your favorite, but as a disappointment of like, I really expected you to say that your favorite movie was, you know, Shane. I don't know why you, <laughs> you picked this movie, you know, and, um, and it is it is interesting because it gives me it does give me an opportunity. I feel like um, my personal philosophy and even to a certain degree my theology certainly wasn't shaped by The Exorcist, but I feel like The Exorcist um, plays around with some of those themes in a way that I think very very few, if any other, um, supernatural specifically possession movies deal with. Um, so it's a good opportunity for me to tell them like, hey, this is. A, a big part of how I see spiritual warfare or this subject, um, and I think this film is playing with it in a very realistic way and yeah. in a very believable way. And I feel like it's it's trying to be very honest, um, pretty much across the board. Yeah i I have not seen I hadn't seen the movie in ten years, and then Josh and I watched it a few days ago, and uh, and before that I had seen it like like I think three or four years no five years before that and so like you know i there were long stretches between viewings um and one thing that i didn't remember but that i love is 
how much of the film is like how long they how how long they go before declaring it what it is before they say oh, yeah. we're dealing with a demon and in fact even when the concept of exorcism is proposed it's not proposed as an actual thing it's yeah, proposed right. uh, from like, a like psychosomatic a, standpoint right um, and even and, that is a full hour and three minutes into the movie. Mm-hmm. It's that's very specific. Do you actually know that? It's it's. We watched it Friday, and I was looking for the first time they named Exorcism, and I happened okay. to glance at the counter. So I'm not mm-hmm. that knowledgeable okay. about the movie, <laughs> but I just happened to glance at the counter at the time that they first mentioned it, and I was like, oh wow, that is a full hour into it. Because I was thinking it was more like, you know, half hour, forty five minutes when it's first brought up, but it is yeah. well into like half the movie before they even name it. So does that mean we couldn't say, like, what happens at minute 27? And you could say, well, minute 27? No, there's no way. That's probably the only call out that I will know, uh, only because it's, you know, the only thing I like. But it's it's worth noting. In many ways, it's kind of the same theory as Jaws. You know, don't show the shark immediately. But, like, people go into a movie called The Exorcist to see something about exorcism. Yeah. And then just, but, uh, but that's the thing. Just because you you hear the word exorcism an hour in doesn't mean you haven't seen anything really disturbing before right. that. Um, yeah, and it's uh, but that that I think and just it's like all right she's it's like oh she's sick so now we'll take her to see a doctor but now but she's not getting better she's only getting worse now a different doctor okay now a different type of doctor and now here's this test and they show oh when they do a uh, what 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 procedure was that oh the spinal tap yeah, yeah. That's the one. oh my goodness <laughs> it's br- i think that got in our particular viewing of it i think that got more groans and grimaces than any of the possession stuff it was did for the that two of us. Scene. yeah <laughs> like so brutal and just cuz and that's the thing is i feel like that's what makes that's what really sells the possession stuff is if you is if you root the the events so firmly in our world where like all right here's here's a doctor and he seems very doctorly you know here's a here's a priest played by a real priest here's you know it's like we will show now every detail of the spinal tap like we will do all of that mm-hmm. um and that way it doesn't seem broad because it seems like only in a broad type of movie you would have an exorcism but like no this takes place in a house it's a little gr- like specificity is really the name of the game here mm-hmm. and i feel like that's what what can make the movie so unsettling is it does seem you know it it's as fe- it seems as feasible as it's going to uh, yeah. for the type of movie that it is um that is that's one of the things that really struck me from a from a filmmaking style and a narrative style uh you know a narrative perspective was how long they went before they entertained this notion because that's probably what would happen in real life even i think in a christian household i think it would take you know a very long time at least an hour and three minutes um (laughs) before before somebody thought okay there there's some kind of spiritual attack going on see that's that's interesting because i think i think that is is true for a vast majority of Christian households, but I actually came from a uh, a more charismatic Pentecostal culture, and it's it's interesting because 
I've experienced in a great many um, conversations that I've had with not necessarily my church peers now, but some of the church peers from the culture and climate that I grew up in, um, where it was almost as if they suspected every headache you had was spiritual warfare, where uh-huh. like every every single inconvenience and and trouble in your life was related to some form of spiritual attack. And with the furtherance of that mentality, anytime somebody had ongoing pervasive, they wouldn't leap to possession. Uh, you know, not that I'm completely negating what you suggested earlier, because mm-hmm. possession is definitely an outlandish yeah. thought. Um, but um, it was fascinating how quickly they would um, seek to rebuke whatever, uh, you know, forcible uh, spiritual attack had come on to them because, oh, wow, well, you, you know, and they would chalk things up like, like depression, they would chalk things up mm. like uh, things that could have come from simple fatigue, mm. and they would immediately go to the, the the spiritual aspect of it, which is another thing um, that I find interesting about the movie is um, I feel like that whole interplay between okay, well, the the, the doctors um, seem so convinced that it's her temporal lobe. <laughs> that's yeah. the that's the one sort of uh, hinge point that they have at trying to, to fix this problem. Um, and I feel like it can be just as easy to go to the other perspective and say that everything is spiritual yeah. um, as it would be to say that everything is physical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do find that interesting that sometimes depending on the perspective you come from you're you're going to be in one camp or the other, it tends to be. If you're an extremist. Which is why the character of Father Karras is so integral, because he's both. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he is a priest and a psychiatrist. So, and he jumps to psychiatry first. Right. Because it is, in many ways, the most reasonable, most logical explanation. Uh, but he also recognizes that there's this other element. And, and is still, even though he entertains it as a possibility, he's still reluctant to confirm it and even you know i like that even in the midst of, in his first conversation with you know with the the demon um that he does the thing with the holy water where yeah. he sprinkles her with regular water saying it's holy water and she still has an extreme reaction and that creates doubt in his mind as it as it does in the viewer because right. and this thing we're seeing like we're seeing the physical effect that this is having on the kid, and yet even then there are just little moments of like uh, of doubt placed mm-hmm. in the characters' minds and in the viewers' minds and that sort of thing. And so, I just I really I that's in almost every horror movie. I feel like that's what I what will get me is how committed are they if if it's something that seems to take place in the world we live in. How committed are they? to having characters respond in a way that people probably would. Mm, yeah. Um, and it's interesting, um, as, I, as I've said in, in episodes in the past, uh, and I knew we would, we would be talking about it overtly in this episode, when talking about spiritual warfare, a lot of Christians that I know, including me, are reluctant to talk about it at all. Mm-hmm. Because we know how we will sound. You know, if we say, oh, that's the devil or that that's whatever, you know, partially because as time goes on, you know, I think a lot of people, Christian or otherwise, uh, would probably hear someone say, oh, well, it's, you know, demonic oppression, not possession, but like demonic oppression or whatever. Uh, And they'd be like, oh, look at look who's trying to uh, evade responsibility for their own actions. Right. Uh, The devil made me do it and that sort of thing. But anyway, uh, so 
I know that for myself, I'm very reluctant to jump to that, even if it's a situation where, like, you know, in my church, like, there's just something going on and it's just bad. Mm. And even though in the Bible, right and left, it talks about, like, demons and Satan actively working against us, I'm so concerned with looking a certain way to other people and maybe even to myself that, frankly, I feel like if I were a character in this movie, I would probably be one of the doctors who is so, so, so reluctant to say this thing. And I'm somebody who even who believes in it. But for my own, I would say, prideful reasons, I won't entertain that notion. Or at least I'm it's the last thing I jump to. Yeah. And they never really ex- believe that. Right. Even the doctors, they they just kind of like you said, suggested as a psychosomatic thing, and um, I wonder if I don't know if maybe that's a theme in the book as well, but uh, there seems to be a lot of negativity towards the scientific and uh, medical community. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's in the. I, I find that what's what's interesting about it this would be my my sort of interpretation of both the book and the movie is that it treats uh the scientific community and it even treats the religious community i think in the same way that i don't think it necessarily attacks them as fields of study or philosophy but it attacks sort of the or or it i shouldn't say it attacks it confronts um the idea of uh, complete certainty and denial of evidence that you have in front of you because of a preconceived notion that you've already come to. So, in mm-hmm. other words, you've already kind of decided it's in this realm, so you're ignoring all of the evidence that would dispute that right. for the sake of your already preconceived notion. And I feel like the film does something, uh, certainly much more uh, confronting scientific thought in that way than it does religious thought. But I think even some to some degree religious thought confronts this idea of you are completely certain that this is the way it is. Like with the, you know, the hesitation of, of Father Karras to uh, accept this mm-hmm. um, as demonic possession. Um, and uh, and even still when he and Marin get into the actual exorcism, um, you know, things don't immediately play out the way you would hope or expect them to, given, okay, well, if it's saying this is a specifically religious problem and they're handling it in a specifically religious way, why is it not immediately resolved? <laughs> why yeah. is it not just going away? I actually, that was the, one of the more recent conversations I had. One of, uh, one of their persons sort of, uh, not fully negative, but one of their resistances to the film was the fact that the moment the priest starts invoking scripture, the moment the priest starts invoking the name of Jesus, the demon doesn't leave. So they're like, well, what is the film trying to say? <laughs> is it, you no. know, and and they basically even said, is the film trying to say that it's powerless, that it's ineffective? You know, what is what is it? And I have my own thoughts on that, but but I feel like to get back to your earlier point, that I think that's more in my interpretation. What it's confronting is this idea of you think you've got all of your conclusions drawn, and then this other evidence comes, and how do you respond when your conclusions don't hold up to yeah. what you see in front of you? And I think that's very interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it seems to confront, uh, not unlike The Wire, uh, the uh, like the institutional and bureaucratic mindset and how that, almost more than anything, is what gets in the way of making any kind of real positive progress. Because hmm. you have the bureaucratic process within the church of how, okay, before we can do anything, 
before we can do the thing that will be most helpful here, we got to, I got to talk to this that guy. Then I got to talk to this guy, you know, all very cold and clinical. Uh, and then it's the same with the doctors like, okay, well it wasn't this thing. So now let's do this. And it, of course it's all very methodical and it probably as it sh- is, as it should be. But I think it does a very good job of putting you in the position of, you know, Ellen Burstyn hmm. who wants nothing more than her daughter to be healed of this in some way, shape or form. And she just keeps hitting these guys who, you know, because the thing about any institution is, is it has its own way of thinking about things and its own way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so yeah, I, it's, and by, and by kind of, for lack of a better term, bogging the film down in that, in a good way, I feel like that's, it really helps to get us to sympathize with, with her character. Yeah. Um, and also has to get her to the point where she's going to accept the idea of the exorcism. Because since, like you said, we are couching this in a very real life world, um, she wouldn't go there right away. If it's, a, if it's a world where we are from the beginning just supposed to accept supernatural things, spooky things, or whatever. A lot of other movies that have that kind of subject matter start that way. They start with like a gypsy woman who curses somebody or something like that. Yeah. Um, so then we're like, okay, this is the world we live in. Um uh, but this movie, since it starts out, like you said, very realistic, very normal, um, very believable as our actual world, she would have to go through a lot before she would actually get to a point to accept that sort of thing. Which is actually... Oh, I'm sorry. Well, and it's and that's, it, again, the specificity, like she is an actress, mm-hmm. you know, and I would venture to say that the vast majority of Hollywood actors and actresses and just artists in general... Um, not only are they probably not Christian or Catholic, but they might actually have a certain degree of hostility towards it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just knowing the people that I've known out here, uh, many of whom were raised in the Midwest and were raised in a Christian or Catholic home, and then that was not fulfilling to them. And so they abandon it, and they have a certain degree of hostility towards it. And so we have a character here who does not, by her own claim, she does not really believe in any of this kind of thing. She doesn't right. describe herself as religious. And so she's probably, there's probably that extra layer there of resistance uh, that I think just comes with maybe the people that she runs with. You know, I mean, she knows how, if she, if she were to say this to any of her actor or director friends, she would be viewed as just crazy or yeah. just like, they would just sort of shame her like, Oh really? Uh, okay. Well, I guess she's one of those now, you know, or yeah. whatever. But uh, you were going to say something. All I was going to say is that's actually um, speaking to her, uh, what finally drives her into the arms of this very uh, admittedly extreme, um, possibly crazy notion of an exorcism is I've heard uh, interviews with Blatty who wrote it, William Peter Blatty, and he said um, that that's the justification for that very offensive scene with the crucifix. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, he's been asked, he's like, why, why do you need such a perverse scene? Um, I don't know if you want me to describe it or not, but it's it, it just it's a very very offensive uh, moment. Yeah, it's and, quite jarring. Yeah, and it and it is even if you're even if you're kind of on board for all of the possession stuff, that's still a scene that will that will really take you back. Um, I have to imagine that was not in the uh, edited for TV version that you that, originally saw. That moment saw. was not. The scene was, but that specific moment with okay. the crucifix was not. And um, but he said. That, you know, it's a very disturbing scene, a necessarily disturbing scene, because he needed something not only extreme to make her realize, hey, this is this is bigger than 
psychosomatic issues, mm-hmm. but he also needed something overtly religious mm-hmm. and simultaneously overtly perverse. So he needed something that was profane in every sense of the word and act to drive the mother into the arms of the church because that anything else would have still been viewed in the wheelhouse of uh, just a, a psychotic episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was how he sort of validated the necessity of a scene like that. And that's probably, he's, if, if memory serves, he said that's one of the things that he's been questioned on the most in the movie is, is specifically, and in the book, that scene's in the book too, and specifically that that moment and why it's necessary to be in there. Yeah, that's, you know, you mentioned, uh, I forget if we mentioned this uh, off air, but that uh, it's more likely to be a film that is like offensive to people more than scary right and i th- and it's first scenes like that like i think the the fear comes in just how unabashedly disturbing it is mm-hmm. because it is you know i've seen the film three times and and it's 2013 and i'm 31 i've seen a number of disturbing films um, and as time goes on, it seems like every year there's one that comes out and is like, wow, that is a very specifically disturbing film. Um, but this one, which is now 40 years old, mm-hmm. that's that scene and a couple scenes like it uh, still get me. Yeah. Still, it's just like n- they don't make me afraid, but it's just like, man, this is intense. Yeah. You yeah. know, this is you almost feel like, you know, I've never I've never been witness to an exorcism, but part of me is like, or, or a demonic possession. But it's just like. I feel like this is probably what it looks like, right? Mm-hmm. Just just constant desecration of everything good. Yeah. Not merely the crucifix itself, but the fact that it's, you know, a little girl, oh, you know, doing this this yeah. uh, horrendous act and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Um so I I want to move on to some, to some other uh, you know, maybe artistic aspects of the film. Um uh, and and I'll just zero in right now on some of the acting and and characters. Um and that's where the acting, I think, is uniformly great. Uh, every time I watch it, I'm reminded of like, man, that Ellen Burstyn sure is a good actress. But, oh, yeah. Uh, but this time around, uh, Jason Miller as uh, Father Karras, who really kind of emerges as the protagonist. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but he's he's like a co-lead, I think. Oh, absolutely. Um, and certainly the second half of the film becomes his. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, and I don't know much about him as an actor. I think most people just think of him as the guy from The Exorcist. Um, but, and his performance is a very, and I like that they didn't go with a particularly big star in that role. They could have. Um, but they went with somebody who seems in many ways average. He kind of has an average guy's looks, mm-hmm. um, an average guy's build, and he just and he just has uh, an intensity, but also a sadness and an exhaustion to him that he just imbues the character with. And just yeah, it's that character really resonates with me because I feel like of all the characters in the film, if you're a Christian, he's probably the one that you have seen the most, either in yourself or just in the church. Because sooner or later, I think everybody arrives, maybe not for very long, but they are where he is, where I feel like they're losing their faith. They're just tired all the time. They just, they don't see a lot of positive evidence uh of of god and and of grace and that sort of thing and then they also have personal things going on in their lives that that you look at that they look at and say i see no evidence of god here yeah uh, like this stuff going on with his mom 
and they're dealing with probably guilt mm-hmm. and and all that. And so that character and the way he plays him, uh, I especially like. I mean, in, in all the scenes where he's talking about his, you know, his his disintegrating faith and and that sort of thing, um, he's great in those. But the ones that really jumped out at me were, were when he uh, when he talks directly to the demon and you actually see like a spark of life in him at that moment you see him uh you see a confidence and a boldness that you don't see anywhere else and i feel like that that's a a kind of a some might look at that as as contradictory in the character but i see it as a really bold and interesting choice by jason miller because in that moment it's like He's talking to what is very likely a demon. I can't think of anything that would affirm that would affirm your faith more than the than uh, affirmation that there is an opposing side. Because mm-hmm. frankly, if there are demons, there has to be God, and so and this is very clearly a demon, and so. <laughs> So it's just like, all right, if there's evil, then there's good. And hey, I've got good on my side. So now what? And so um, it does seem to kind of energize him. Not in a, you know, he's not happy about it, but it does right. seem it give, it emboldens him. And uh, and I really, I just really respond to his performance. All, all the all the performances are good, but he's the one that I came away from the movie really responding to this time around. Yeah, and his is the one that, in retrospect, I, I admire the most. I love Max von Sydow because of how he's done a number of performances in other movies that I loved. Um, apart from this one, I think Ellen Burstyn is brilliant. I think Linda Blair is great, mm-hmm. um, so I echo that. But I think Jason Miller's is definitely the one that I walk away respecting the most. I think he's got so much nuance, particularly all of the different beats he has to play in the, the last you know, 20, 30 minutes of the movie with the actual exorcism and um, and just everywhere he goes as an actor is incredibly impressive. I agree. And I will say that, uh, and, and you mentioned Max uh, von uh, Sydow. Um, his performance is great. I wish he'd been in the movie more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, within the last week, I have had this conversation with two different people uh, as a function of The Exorcist, which is, how old is Max von <laughs> Yeah. I, that's what I was thinking. When the movie started, I was like, he looks like he's 70 now, and this movie is 30 years old. Is, is Max von now 100 years old? It's 40 I think years he's, old. Yeah, I think, he's in his, I think he's in his 80s now. He's actually, yeah, we looked it up, and he's, yeah. So he's not super old. They must have made him up to look older. Yeah. And they did for The Exorcist. And he, do, he does just have a natural, like... He has I mean, kind I of recently man saw, I recently saw The Virgin Spring for the first time, in which he plays a character who's probably in his, like, th- uh, probably like 40s. I mean, he himself is probably in his 30s uh, at the time, but the character, I think, needs to be 40s or 50s. Probably. And I bought it. Yeah. Of oh, course yeah. I bought it. He has an old soul to him, I think. Yeah. <laughs> he um, carries himself very maturely. Yeah. yeah. He's one of my favorite actors, though, and I, I, I love him in this movie, even though he isn't. Like you said, isn't in it a whole lot? Um, yeah, he has some really great moments. I think. Uh, I mean, I guess we're talking about the movie as if people have seen it, so you know, spoilers or whatever. But uh, the, one of my favorite moments was when they're finally going in to do the exorcism. It's it's the two of them, and um, uh, Karis says something like, "I there seems like there's three different demons in there," and he's like, "No, there's only one." Yeah. And he just speaks with such authority and such like 
severity and control that you're like, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> like, but with a great deal of sympathy as well. Like right. he's not he's not putting the younger guy in his place. He's no. just saying this is what it is. Yes. And and he's, he has such a wonderful moment. I'm surprised I forgot it from when I first saw it. It's such a wonderful moment right before he goes in. Oh, that's when he a beautiful asks, When he asks the middle name. Yeah. And she says, oh, Teresa. Yes. And he says, what, and he just has such a kindly quality to him. Yeah. Just what a beautiful name. Yeah. And, oh, and you it see, yeah, it's, it's such a, we commented on that uh, when we saw it again. The whole group of people all commented on how surprisingly human they found the movie to be mm-hmm. not only in moments like that but just throughout uh how many subtle uh and not even subtle sometimes but just understated moments of of genuine humanity and tenderness mm-hmm. and compassion that takes place amidst this horrific circumstance yeah and i think uh, he adds a lot to that another moment just singing his praises again is when uh, when he has to you know uh ask karis to exit even mm-hmm. in his get out yeah. It's, he's not angry. He's even a bit, it seems a bit weary of it. Like he, he you know, wishes something different for Father Karras. And then when he gets him out, he tenderly touches him on the shoulder. He doesn't shove him out. Yeah. He's not offended. He's not angry. And then right before he kneels, he has this great, you know, just the slowness to which he prepares the to proceed with the ritual again. And right before he kneels, he looks around the room and it's interesting knowing, okay, again, spoiler alert, he does not survive the exorcism, um, but it's almost as if in that moment when he knelt down and looked around the room, it's as if he knew that. It's as yeah. if he knew, like, okay, well, this is this is where I'll go out. And I just think it's such a beautiful portrayal, it's such a gravitas yeah. to it that's mm-hmm. really believable and and very touching in a number of surprising ways. It does make me wish. Here's here's the thing. This is something I've felt all three times, and I felt it even more this time around. Um, and Josh and you and I talked about it a little bit. He brings such gravity to his performance that, yes, certainly you want to see more of him. But also, I just I want to know more about his about his character, especially because of that introduction in mm. Iraq, where he seems and the fact that the demon names him, yeah, like in, in the yeah. in the backwards English recording, um, it's just like okay, well these. And the certainty with which he says there's only one, it's like, all right, th- clearly he has a history or something with this demon, yeah. and I would like to know more about that. Like, that I is... really, I feel like, and I don't know how they could add it, except maybe like one scene, like one more scene between him and Father Karras or something like that, where yeah. Karras says, like, you know, I hear you have some experience with this, and he says, I, yes, I very much do, and then... You know, like just something. I, I don't need everything spelled out, and they give you enough. But they give you enough that it's just like, oh, now it's nothing but questions. Yeah, I need mm-hmm. at least one or two answers. Yeah. Um, and so that, and also the fact that he does, you know, that that he does have this history with with this demon, uh, but that he goes out, you know, that he that he dies pretty, if you'll. Pardon me, pretty easily and pretty quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it seems somehow anticlimactic. Like it seems like you know the demon like yelling out his name and all that. Like uh, as though w- we are really headed for something here, like yeah. a real a real climax. And of course, it does have a climax. It's not the one you want, and I, and I'm okay with that because I like the climax that it has. Mm-hmm. Right. But it does feel like man, it's something about the Marin character just doesn't seem. Right. And yeah. by the way, the movie is called The Exorcist. 
Which there's only the, yeah. There's only one exorcist in the film. There yeah. are there's a priest who performs an exorcism. That's different though. Yeah. This guy yeah. is an exorcist. And why is it called that? Like <laughs> right. it's not the exorcism. That's one. Th- that's a different thing. Yeah. And so it's just so that's the thing that just keeps me from just just embracing the film wholeheartedly. I still mm. love it. Right. But it's just that one little thing. I'm like, oh, it just nags at me. Yeah, and I'm a bit at a. a I, I'm I'm reticent to speak too much about this. If you'll permit me, I'll I'll touch on it lightly because uh, we're talking about the film, and I wanted. I was thinking as I was, um, you know, you invited me on here that I wanted to keep a good majority, if not all, of my conversations about the film specifically. But I've read the book uh, twice now, and that is one aspect that is gone into in much greater detail in the book I'm sure. than in the movie is specifically Marin's history. This is um, they mention in the film very briefly. Uh, they said, yeah, I think 10 to 12 years ago in Africa, he performed an exorcism and it lasted for months and it almost killed him. The book goes to some length to say that it was the same identical demon with which he um, confronted. And there's hints of it in the movie, but they are nothing more than hints. Just yeah. when he sees the statue, he recognizes it. When he is making his way out of Iraq, he, he sees the statue and has that that confrontational stare with it it's that that's really your only hint that he knows this is coming and is preparing for it but two interesting things from the book that were not in the movie that i'll just mention uh the first is there's a conversation that takes place in the book when he first arrives to the house he heads up to speak to the demon and um the uh maid uh, i think her name is sharon Mm -hmm. or whatever but she overhears the conversation that takes place, and when Marin walks in, um, the demon uh, through Reagan says, "This time you're going to lose." And the more interesting thing is that in the book, uh, the reaction of well, let me first of all speak about the film. When Marin dies, the reaction of the demon is very interesting to me because at first the demon almost looks drugged and shocked and stunned, like uh, Reagan is sitting in the corner of the bed. Uh, just sort of this blank stare on her face. And then there's that, um, you know, it's used in a lot of clip shows, that that giggle Mm -hmm. that happens, almost like a nervous laugh that happens. Well, in the book, the reaction is that the demon is furious that Marin has died. And the demon begins a bit, you know, insanely uh, yelling at Marin, saying, you know, you cheaped out, and basically essentially saying, you cheaped out and you died on me instead of finishing this, instead of, you know, seeing through this confrontation we're having to to its conclusion. So all of that to say, you know, there's just such a deep well of stuff to Marin's character, and they went and made two prequel movies about it. <laughs> I know, and I saw one of them. I saw the one by Paul Schrader, because mm-hmm. he's a director I like. I believe it's called Dominion. I liked that one better I- than its alternative. Yeah, that one is directed by Rennie Harlan, a director I do not like. Mm-hmm. Um, but even Dominion's not that good. No. But the casting is pretty solid. Like, uh, Stellan Skarsgård, as a young Max von Sydow, works fairly well. He doesn't quite have the gravity that a von Sydow does, but it's still pretty solid. Mm. Um, but the movie itself, I don't remember much about. But, um, but yeah, that and that's the thing is, you know, it wouldn't take much to have incorporated that into the film. Right. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of bummed that they didn't. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, so um, I would like to, uh, to move on. And, you know, we, we jumped into it. Uh, but, uh, you know what? I, I'll hold off. I was going to say, like, you know, I was going to ask Josh, like, what are your initial reactions? But I'll actually get to that in a second. Um, but, 
I would like to kind of get to the down the home stretch here a little bit. Uh, we're at an hour, 10 minutes. I'd like to wrap this up in about 10 to 15 minutes. And I want to talk about what I think is the major, what could be a major stumbling block in a Christian watching this movie. And it's the one that your friend had. It's the one that I had when I first watched it, which is, and, and a movie. And, and anytime I watch a movie about the presence of demons or demonic possession or whatever, uh, you know, demons are easy to show. Satan himself is easy to show. Like you just, we got the horns, we got, you know, uh, a certain type of personality, uh, rock music, you know, um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but God really seems to play no real role. Uh, and if it, if he does, it is kind of a, I believe you said a neutered role, a kind of a, doesn't seem to have a great deal of power or perhaps worse, a lot of interest in what's going on. Mm. And so it often looks like humans versus demons and that we are on our own. Mm. Um, there's a movie that is not good called bless the child. It's got uh, Kim Basinger in it. It's a Robert De Niro movie. Is that the one? Uh, no, that's a, that is a, a different one, but I can't think of the one. I think that one's about. called Godsend, isn't it? Godsend. Oh, man, that's yeah, the yeah, one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, bless the child is a movie that came and went. And <laughs> nobody of those took notice. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but the, I remember the one thing I noted in bless the child was, Oh God, the, God as a powerful entity who at any moment could just wipe, just wipe the floor with any of these evil beings. Like the film actually acknowledges that. Mm. And part of me is like, Hey, that's refreshing. I wish I were in a better movie. <laughs> but, um, so that was my, that was my first thought when I saw what well, that was my thought when i first saw the movie years ago and it persisted the second time this time around i still have it but i know enough uh both about uh, how to approach movies but also as a christian i have enough confidence to know how i respond to my own problems hmm. uh, with with that aspect of the film but uh so you mentioned your friend had an issue with that. Yeah. Um how did you respond and then how do you do, did you yourself have an issue with that? The idea of God seeming powerless. Well, uh the I did I wouldn't say that I had an issue to it, but I did key into it even from my first viewing of it that um I I'm from a culture that that says if you do have an encounter or something like this that um scripture and invoking the name of Jesus are basically like you know, the red button that's going to stop this entire thing. Um, and what I've found as I've just grown and lived, um, not that I'm any better than I was, but um, I've just found that sometimes, uh, you know, suffering and tragedy, sometimes they just don't budge. And it doesn't mean that faith is invalid to me, and it doesn't mean that, um, you know, invoking Scripture or invoking the name of Jesus are uh, fruitless in any capacity, but I think that sometimes we expect them to do certain things that they don't do. And what I told my friend is, I said, you know, I I don't believe that every prayer I've ever prayed has has always been answered, but that doesn't mean I believe prayer is valueless. I don't believe that every single time I've made effort to do Bible studies or to make sure I have uplifting conversations with people or do things in my life that um, were inherently uplifting and edifying that that would keep away every bad thing from my doorstep like um that that just it doesn't work that way that sometimes um these things encroach uh for reasons completely beyond our control and even perhaps beyond our comprehension and uh what i told uh this friend is i said 
I said, I think that what the movie, one of the many things the movie is trying to say is that, um, you know, in the face of that kind of suffering that won't budge that way, um, sometimes the only way to sort of undo it um, is actually to offer up yourself in some capacity or uh, self-sacrifice or sacrifice of some um, degree is is one of the things that that seems to consistently unseat you know it doesn't stop bad things from happening but sometimes it can make even the worst of things lose their their hold on you is when you adopt a posture of uh, humility not just in opinion about yourself but of you know, like I'm, I, I, you hold not your life. You you don't clutch it as if to save it. You willingly lose it up, and um, and I think that's that's largely how I interpret Karis's ultimate solution mm-hmm. to the problem. Is when he says, "Take me." I don't think that's a a bargaining chip he's using. I think that's literally him saying, "You know, leave this family alone, and and I'll go in place." Yeah. And I think that that. Uh, you know, a personal belief that I have that I believe the Bible backs up to a great degree is that that will that will consistently release um, the hold. Like, like evil can't hold on to um, the the idea of self sacrifice. I really, you know, it doesn't mean that you won't still lose. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you won't still die. But I do believe that a great deal of power is broken. You look at things like nine eleven. And so much of what people talk about when they're not talking about the terrorists is they're talking about the firefighters. They're talking about the people who rushed in um, in the midst of all of that destruction and offered themselves up to help. Um, and many of them died. Mm-hmm. Many of them did, in fact, lose their lives. But the the face of that sacrifice does, I think, for a great many people seem to, even for a moment, override the massive evil that took place like it all depends on where you put your focus and if you put your focus and concentration on the devastation um then obviously that's going to overwhelm you but if you put your concentration on the sacrifice that took place then that will somehow unseat it so i feel like i'm somewhat rambling but that's that's much of what i responded to them with as i said sometimes the only offer we have against evil is to offer up ourselves um yeah that was that's kind of where i arrived um but actually, before I get into that, uh, Josh, like, as somebody who is kind of sensitive to, you know, movies in which, you know, dark supernatural forces have a great deal of power, and as you said, there's nothing we can do, um, couched in that, like, how did you respond to this movie? Did you find it somewhat hopeless, or did you, or, I, I won't put words in, my, in your mouth. Um... I wouldn't say I find it hopeless. I mean, I think, I think what I get out of it, and that which which goes to some of what you've been saying, Reed, is that uh, good and evil sort of work in different ways, um, uh, and and ultimately the good way is uh, may hurt more in in our world, but in, in an ultimate sense is greater. Um, I think when we talked about it a little bit, there's something that, uh, there's something someone says in the film, and I can't remember who or, or how, but they, they come, they describe what the demon is doing as like a vulgar display of power. Is that from the film or is that? Oh, the demon himself. Yeah. Uh, uh, Kara says, if you're really the devil, then why don't you just make these, the, 
these ropes or whatever. Why don't you just make them disappear? Ah, yes. And he says, I would not engage in such a vulgar display of power. Something like that. I don't yeah. know. Which, maybe it's interesting that he points that out because um, I could, I'm, for some reason I'm making the, the demon into a male. He or she, whatever. It points it out. Voiced by a female, Mer- Mercedes McCambridge, mm-hmm. Academy Award winner. That's true. Um, but uh, it, it's interesting that that idea comes up because what the demon's doing is in a way a, a vulgar display of power mm-hmm. to to you know possess this little girl to make her look you know foul and terrible to to make these things happen with her body to her body all these sort of things like the bed shaking around like all of those things are they're frightening and they're meant to unsettle the people but they're not it's not real power, you know? It doesn't really do anything. Um, more than on really a surface level. Um, and so it's almost as if, if God's response to that, to that would be to just, like, be bigger and cap that. That's kind of a smaller... That, that that doesn't almost seem like a real powerful God, you know? A God that comes in and, and says, all right, well, I'm I'm bigger than you, and then that's enough. Yeah. Um, uh, it has a bullyish quality. To kind it. of, yeah. And I think that's one of the films... Something you could get from the film uh, is that um, instead, because God has given his, his love and his sense of sacrifice to us as people who are in, made in his image, that through that um through those people through his servants he solves the problem yeah that was that was and you and i talked about this uh afterwards that where i eventually wound up with my own thoughts of man god looks pretty toothless here you know <laughs> it's like there's an exorcism and the exorcism itself doesn't even work what does work is you know kara saying come into me and then killing himself uh, as a way of trying to stop this demon. But then I realized, like, oh, well, wait a second. It's like, he's done nothing wrong. Like, he could have walked away and been like, all right, uh, I don't have to worry about this demon, you know? But he didn't. Instead, he took the place of the little girl, and this resulted in his death. And it's like, oh, well, who does that sound like? Mm-hmm. And then I realized that when it comes right down to it, I was reminded, I, I believe, Josh, I quoted this to you. Uh, I was reminded of Harry Potter. And Voldemort is very powerful, very scary, but in the end, he's just kind of pathetic because mm-hmm. he's in it only for himself. He is driven by a fear of death, and so he will kill everybody before he is willing to die. Yeah. Um, not that anybody's willing, you know. Not that anybody wants to die, but like he will, like he refuses to die. It is terrifying. So he's first off, he's driven by fear, so that immediately diminishes his power a little bit. But also, um, you know, at the end of number five, when uh, when a, a major character dies, Harry says, "You know, we have something he doesn't something uh, something to fight for, or something worth fighting for," because. Voldemort only has himself, and that's really not worth fighting for that much, is yourself. Whereas if you are fighting to protect somebody, you have something worth fighting for, and that can actually, like, it sounds strange, but but sacrifice and unselfishness 
can be a weapon in and of itself. Yeah. Because in the end, not being afraid to die, not being afraid to sacrifice yourself, like that is, like you said, that's his solution. That's what can stop this demon. The demon will not go like it will not sacrifice itself and so by not being willing to sacrifice itself and by Karis being willing to sacrifice himself out of love he gets the final word mm-hmm. you know he's willing to go one step further than than evil yeah and and that's how he wins you know and that's how that's how god wins that's how christ won is willing to do this thing that Satan would never have done. Yeah. You know? And so I, it's interesting. And of course the whole reason that Karis, they don't come out and say it because they don't have time to in the moment, but you, you feel like the whole reason that it even occurs to him that this is a thing I can do is because he is steeped in this belief. He is steeped in his faith. He says that he has no faith, but when the, when the chips are down, his real faith comes in. That's actually uh, something that is an exact quote from the book. It's not in the uh, in the movie, obviously, but in the book, when Father Dyer, who is the alternate priest, is talking to the mother after the fact, uh, the mother asks him as she's leaving, says, uh, "You say that Karis was struggling with his faith," and he, Father Dyer, said, "Yes, he was at points," and she says in the book again, "I don't believe it. I've never seen such faith in all my life." Yeah. And I, I I think you're exactly on the money in terms of uh, again that's present in Miller's performance. Yeah, man, oh man. And you know I meant to after the movie I meant to look up his filmography, Jason Miller, mm. but uh, but I forgot. Uh, but he's an actor that I feel like I'd be interested in seeing more more mm. things from. I think he has since passed away. Is that he has passed away? Okay. Yeah. Mm. So, um, but nonetheless, I'd like to see more stuff by him. But um, but yeah, I wanted to. Uh, I wrote down a couple of uh, quotes. One is from Father Marin, and it's one that you f- that you incorporated into your uh, your article on morethanonelesson.com about the exorcist, uh, in which Marin says, I think the point is to make us despair, to see ourselves as animal and ugly, to make us reject the possibility that God could love us. Um, I really like, not only do I like that line, but I really like that Marin says it, because as as Josh was saying, he seems like such a no-nonsense, like, let's go in and get this done. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you, you know, with people like that, you tend not to find a lot of mercy, but this is a man for whom God's love is a very real thing, and a thing worth fighting for, and a thing to that can give you power. And so, uh, so he's not, you know, he's not, a man only of action, but he's also willing to discuss these things and talk about why this might be happening. Um, and it's interesting that line because he could be talking to the viewers themselves. I mean, what have we been talking about here? We've been talking about the idea that God is not present in the events Mm -hmm. and that evil really is. So we are despairing, and we are rejecting the possibility that God could love us because surely if God loved us, he would have intervened in this event. And so while Marin is speaking very specifically to the characters involved, he also could be speaking to the audience uh, in that moment. Uh, and then there's a, a verse here. There are a number of verses that I wanted to include, but I just figured I would just uh, 
bring it down to this basic one. Second Corinthians four verses eight and nine. Uh, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Um, and I feel like that's, you know, there are any number of figures in the Bible that are, that are struck down and they are, let's see, they're afflicted, crushed, driven to, uh, sorry. So they're afflicted, perplexed, persecuted and struck down, but they are not crushed, driven to despair, forsaken or destroyed. Um, and I feel like this, this film, while not overt in this message and maybe, and maybe it is overt in this message, you know, um, it shows how bad things can be, but that there's always an option and like through self-sacrifice and the humbling of yourself, because that is what you said, like, that's what Karis has done. He's humbled himself because to humble yourself is to say, I'm not any better or more important than you. And he's saying, I'm willing to sacrifice myself in favor of this girl having a life and not dying herself. And so, um, so I feel like in that he asserts, you know, he makes a conscious choice where she wasn't able to. And that, that is what keeps him from being, you know, crushed or destroyed. And of course, physically he is, but his faith, like, like in the book, his faith is stronger, you know, strongest faith that the character has ever seen. Has ever seen. Um, and so it's a film that, you know, I can absolutely in watching it again and thinking about these things, I can actually, I can absolutely see how it could be your, your favorite film. And I would really, I'm I'm sure everybody that is listening to this and certainly to this point uh, has seen it. But if you haven't, <laughs> one could say there's no reason to. But you know that you know some of those scenes we were talking about that we couldn't go into detail about. Yeah, you can't really capture the essence of those by merely talking about them and not saying anything about them. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I would really recommend uh, people see it. And it's and because of so many elements of the film, I just know that like you know the average. You know, I always return to this. My mom's not going to watch this. No, movie. neither neither will my parents. Yeah. No, I don't even know if they'll get through my article. <laughs> but it's uh, no, it's it's true. There there was one uh, final thing because I know we're probably wrapping up. But okay. the there was one final note that I had uh, just on your uh, uh, mention of of Karis's self sacrifice and his decision. Something that was in the film, but that I didn't I hadn't referenced before. I don't think. Um, one of my favorite moments in the movie is when uh, he, uh, for a number of reasons, has to leave the exorcism. And when he's downstairs and then uh, Ellen Burstyn comes over to him and she asks him first, is it over? And his answer is no, but it's very sort of depressed answer. It's, yeah. you know, no, it's not over. And then her very next question is, is my daughter going to die? And you see it in his face. Everything completely solidifies like, oh, you know, that that's what that's where his focal point shifts. Yeah. And he gives such an empowered like, no, you know, yeah. And, yeah. and then that's when he heads back up. And, yeah. And it all ends. I love that moment mm. so much. That is a, that is a very good moment. I remember thinking that in the film that like that's a that's a big turning point for that character. And you don't realize how. <laughs> I thought the the finale came. It it's, seemed kind of abrupt to me. I wasn't expecting it to be that soon. So knowing that that's kind of like the big push for him to yeah. get him over that last hill is cool. And I feel like that's, in many ways, that is the the struggle of life and the struggle for a Christian 
uh, summed up in a nutshell. Like whenever we're dealing with, you know, crap in our lives, uh, whether it be a function of, you know, uh, spiritual warfare or just, you know, dealing with job stuff or, you know, problems with our spouse or, you know, whatever, um, at any moment we can say, is it over? The answer is no, because, and that's the thing, even if this one thing is over, just the general struggles of there's life. Are always not over. There's always There's always something. Um, yeah. Is it over? No. But are you going to die? And in that instance, what she's, she's looking for hope, you know? Yeah. And so the instance here is like, is it over? No. Is it hopeless? No. Mm. We do have hope and we've got the greatest hope that, uh, that you can ever have. And it's the hope that in that moment emboldens him to go and make this, uh, this amazing sacrifice. And the film, you know, the film ends on a, on a, on an optimistic note, not merely for, uh, for the, the mother and the daughter, but also for the, you know, extraneous characters for, uh, Oh yeah. For father Dyer and, and the Lieutenant, you know, it just, it ends on kind of not necessarily a lighthearted note, because it's you know filled with meaning, but just anybody that has encountered this, clearly their lives have been transformed. I mean, obviously, but transformed just as much by the sacrifice that Karis made as the horrors that they've witnessed. Yeah, and of course the lieutenant hasn't really witnessed any of them. But but yeah, so I don't know. That's yeah, that scene is definitely. Uh, Turn, I, turning point of the film, I think you know, not merely because it spurs on the the climax, but I feel like that's the nature, like that's the theme that the film seems to be exploring. I agree. So, all right, I think we will end there. Um, let's see, is there any other? Yeah, no, no real announcements other than what I said. Um, you can uh, you can check out the various articles that Reed has uh, has written. You can check out his past appearances. He was here a year ago talking about uh, It's a Wonderful Life, and then uh, some of his own stories as the screenwriter behind a film called The Victim. Um, right? Mm-hmm. Sorry. For a minute, I'm like, yes. The Victim. Was that what it is? Yes. That's it. <laughs> yes, um, it is. <laughs> hey, to, you got a good, we got a good episode out of it, so we got it. It was know. a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, and... Um, you can always go to more than one lesson.com and you can, uh, you know, read various articles, listen to past episodes. Uh, you can subscribe to our newsletter, which we send out, uh, about every month, just reminding you of things you might've missed over the last month. Um, you can visit our store and buy your, uh, Halloween times t-shirt, uh, or your, uh, it's fantastinating t-shirt or your, uh, your anti-spiders t-shirt. There's, There's so many options. t-shirts to buy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Buy all of them. You know, yeah. Christmas is coming. I will repeat, Christmas is coming. But, uh, but yeah, and then if you have any questions for me or Josh or both, you can uh, email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com or Josh, Josh, at morethanonelesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at morelessons. You can follow Josh. At the Josh Long. At the Josh Long. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page and request to be a part of it, and I will approve you. I guarantee. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's a right. promise, folks. I'm feeling generous. Um, but uh, now, Reed, where can people find you online? Probably the simplest uh, place uh, besides morethanonelesson.com. 
would be uh, I, I do have a Twitter feed at Reed Lackey, um, and uh, and it, it is it is relatively sparse. Um, uh, if you uh, Facebook friend request me, I cannot guarantee approval, um, but uh, but there are uh, definitely uh, you could follow me on Twitter at Reed Lackey. That's uh, R E E D. Absolutely. So. Um, uh, remind I wanted to remind everyone podcast award voting starts November 1st let's win this thing everybody right we can do it you can help offer up yourself to win the podcast (laughs) award (laughs) the truest expression of God's love is to vote for more than one lesson every Um, day but uh but yeah, and uh, so this this is the end of Halloween Times 2013. Aww. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Uh, we will be back next week, starting uh, starting up our top hundred, uh, our our top tens again. We'll uh, have a mini so discussing Star Wars. Yeah, you shouldn't have given it away. I, I already did last week. Oh, so all right. Well, that's coming up. Yeah. But I won't say our, our top two, although you already know mine because I put my list on the website. Yeah. But you don't know Josh's. Sure don't. They could it be will anything. surprise you. They could both be The Exorcist. It's it's actually the two prequels to The Exorcist. Yeah, I actually, I liked, I had seen those and loved them. Yeah. I'm not crazy about the original. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, so uh, thank you all for listening. Reed, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And Josh, as always, thank you for being here. Well, you're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye.